Hello, everyone, and welcome to Future Imagined, a foresight podcast dedicated to futures thinking. I'm Joe Lapore, your host. I lead foresight for North America within the global foresight team at Mars Wrigley. Today, we are doing something not just a little bit different, very different for us. We are doing a live podcast, one of two. Firstly, we're coming to you live from IIEX North America. It's a live interview with a live audience. And I have been told that I'm not allowed to interact with the audience, but (laughs) I think the future is interactive. So I am going to pick on people to ask questions. If you want to jump in at the end to ask Michelle a tricky question, that would be wonderful. Please laugh at our jokes. Hopefully that'll get picked up through the mic as well. That would be great. (laughs) And let's make it a bit interactive. So normally what we do on Future Imagined, as Michelle knows, is we talk about topics of the future. So we deep dive into them. Today we're doing something different. We're talking about how you do that. So how you transform your business through foresight, the inner workings of future planning and how a dedicated foresight capability and a futures-led culture can be transformative. So if you're curious about Foresight, these are the sessions for you. So joining me today in the first of two conversations is the incredible Michelle Gansley. Welcome, Michelle. Thank you. Excited to be here. So, so happy that you could join us. So Michelle is the Vice President of Global Strategic Insights at McDonald's. Amazing. I was about to be like, ba 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 da See, you got to laugh. Uh, Michelle Gansley, as you said, just a mere 10 months in a McDonald's and loving every minute of it. And before that, I spent 15 years at Mars in both Mars Food and Mars Wrigley. And right before leaving Mars Wrigley, as you know, together we actually um, started Foresight Capability at Mars Wrigley. And then I came over to McDonald's and we're now doing the same. Amazing. So you're a Foresight advocate through and through. Absolutely. You're loving it. So IIEX is the Insights Innovation Exchange, and it's in Austin, Texas this year. And you are a local girl (laughs) from Austin. And uh, Austin, I think, or Texas, I should say, is known for being Texan tough. So it's all about perseverance, creativity, resilience. I think that's in your blood and in your nature. And I think you really need that in foresight. How much do you need to persevere when you're trying to create a new foresight capability? Well, you know, it's interesting because, you know, foresight and the idea of foresight has been around forever, and especially in like the military, et cetera. It's only really showed up in corporations in, I would say, what, the last two or three years, like started emerging before COVID, but COVID really accelerated the understanding and need for it. Uh, and so it's fun because we're, I feel like, and you can disagree with me, it feels like we're, we're all kind of faking until we make it and figuring it out as we go, specifically around corporate foresight. And so from that degree, it does take creativity and perseverance because there's not like an established path and road forward on how to do it necessarily and how to be successful in a company. Yeah, definitely. And foresight when you bring it into a corporation, I think that's a really interesting point. It's very academic to start. And so you have a lot of fields that implement academic practices and they're not directly transferable inside of a corporate structure, right? Mm -hmm. And embedded into those one to three year plans and they don't use the same language. They're a very different 
more sophisticated level of thinking in some ways, but also quite disconnected from the day-to-day business, particularly in CPG. So how do you find the right balance between bringing in the best of academic foresight with making it business savvy? You know, if you think about it, 90% of the organization is paid to think about today, not paid to think about the future. And so there's a natural bias against caring about it, other than it being interesting, right? Everyone would be like, that's so fascinating. People like to hear about trends. But other than that, it's like, what am I supposed to do with it? So I think the balance is just similar to the concept car ideas. How do you connect the future to the present and create a sense of urgency, even if it's not there? Have you read the book Upstream by Dan Heath? It's on my list. Oh, you got to read it. It really resonated with me. Jen's shaking her head. Because the whole book is around, rather than waiting till there's a problem and solving for the problem, you try to go upstream and stop it before it ever even becomes a problem in the first place. Mm. And it resonated with me because that's basically what foresight is. Yes. We're all about identifying signals and either creating opportunity from it or hopefully stopping a problem before it becomes a problem. But the problem with that is that you often don't get credit for it because by the time it becomes the actualized opportunity, a thousand teams have touched it. Yes. Or if you've stopped a problem, most people won't know it was ever a problem in the first place. Yes. So that really is the, the magic of it, is inspiring people to take action in one way or the other and then somehow making sure we get credit at the end of the day for it. So I want to go back to something you touched on before, which was that you you identify a problem. And I think a lot of corporations, at least those that are very internally focused, They like to focus on the positive things, you know, the things that they're doing really well, those trends that they're activating. And so when you're presenting them with something that's negative, that's, you know, potentially a headwind, it can be a challenge to get that through into the business. And I'm going to go back to something that Ray Kroc said, which I think (laughs) is very relevant for this. I've, I've done some homework. He said, nothing in the world can take the place of persistence. So how do you bring those problems and those negative parts of the world that are going to impact the business in and get people on board with that as opposed to rejecting it. I think the thing is, is that you've got to keep being resilient about how you bring the problem up to whom and in what way. That's why I guess we were just talking with Adam before and he was at Disney and he was mentioning how they brought so many opportunities to the world, but maybe too soon. Yes. You know, so maybe they were solving problems before people understood it to be a problem. So I feel like Our approach to that is you just have to keep chipping away at it. And just because someone says no in the moment doesn't mean it's a no forever. Yeah. If you really believe in it. And that's what's great also about foresight is the idea of like constantly tracking trends, et cetera, is because maybe you bring it up and it doesn't land. But if you keep bringing it up and as the problem becomes more pervasive, at some point you're going to get traction. Yeah, definitely. So you mentioned the word trends and Adam, who's going to be on the episode tomorrow, we were talking about this before. Trends is almost like a dirty word in foresight. So why is it that we need to move away from using more of that short-term language? Or what are the common misconceptions about what foresight is? About trends versus foresight? I'd love to hear your answer on this too. (laughs) Um, I think the problem with trends is people see it as like a wave that they have to catch, whereas the idea of a signal of change might not be a trend. It might just be a short flare-up, but it might be something that we need to keep track of because it could turn into a trend, positively and negatively, or it might not. Or the connecting of multiple dots of things turns into something that we need to be paying attention to that's not necessarily a trend, but Mm -hmm. it's a pattern. So I think why foresighters hate the word trends is people often think that trends is foresight. I think trends is one tool to understanding foresight, but it's not the total encompassing of foresight. I agree with that. I think that people try to, at least in business, simplify very big, complex 
things, including a complex practice or a complex piece of work. And sometimes when you simplify it, you oversimplify it, and then you're not getting the richness and the depth that's really sitting behind that. That being said, I think shortcuts are really helpful and trends, macro trends, Mm -hmm. trying to use the language that people are already using inside of the business can be helpful. Blue Dog always says there's like three things you need to know about insights. Mm. Is it true? Is just one piece of it. Is it relevant? And is it actionable are the other two pieces? So trend might be true, but is it relevant and actionable for your business? That's why I love the framework that you guys came up with, with trends times human behaviors and changes times what matters to the company. Well, we came up with. (laughs) (laughs) So you've got the the frameworks there. So that's one piece that I want to talk about. So we, in Mars Weekly, we created a really beautiful framework that sat inside of insights that really anchored into human understanding, um, which are those consistent long-term needs. And we did training with the Institute for the Future and we established this capability so that you could have the expertise that leveraged all of that beautiful academic stuff we were talking about that then could translate it into the corporate side of the business. But what about then cascading it out to the rest of the organization and amplifying that? So teaching futures thinking in everyone in the organization, should that happen, do you think, at the same time as when you create foresight or do you need to do the expertise part first? I, mean, I think it's right to do it at the same time. It's kind of like with agile ways of working, right? You, you need to bring both philosophy and action and experimentation at the same time. Otherwise, it's just thought leadership. Uh, so I do think they're most important at this time. But one thing I've been grappling with recently is actually, does the whole organization need to be involved and understand it? Isn't it helpful to have some people focused on the here and now, some people focused on the future, you know, and some people focused on the in-between? So mm-hmm. we've started really thinking about who's the audience and what do they need to know for what purpose and what are we asking them to do? And it's not the same. Like, I don't need Malaysia to be worried about 10 years from now. I need them to be worried about today. But yeah. the U.S. is in a very different place developmentally, for example. So we do need them thinking further out. Mm-hmm. So I don't know um, how you think about it, but I think it's actually helpful not to treat everyone as one-size-fits-all when it comes to futures thinking. Yeah, definitely agree. Understanding the level of maturity in different markets and exactly what problem you're trying to help them tackle, whether, to your point, it's short, mid, long-term. And then, you know, even inside of the macro trends or a steep frameworks, like which part of that are they most grappling with that you can help mm-hmm. them build skills around so that they're watching for those signals that you were talking about and then you're helping them to bridge the gap between what they see and what they can do about it. I think that's definitely the right approach. That being said, to cascade and amplify the impact of foresight is really a powerful way to then embed it into the business so that you get that pull. How are you planning on doing that at McDonald's now that you're setting up this new capability? It's like building that pool of foresight so you get that buy-in up front. It's not too dissimilar at Mars. We have a push-pull method. So the push part is connecting it to our strategic planning process, and we, we call them phases. And we have one phase that's specifically about looking future out, so we're really deeply embedding into that piece so that it touches everyone in a relevant way. And then we're also creating pool by doing things like webcasts and seminars and things that for people who are naturally inclined and interested will come to it. Um, and people who aren't naturally inclined will not, and that's mm. perfect. Yeah, definitely. And the advocacy piece, I think, is the other important one. So inside of the Mars Wrigley business, we, well, Michelle, I should say, very quickly identified our North American president, just went right to the top, 
and got him on board to be our foresight advocate. And then you know, just having that voice of influence in the business to say, this is really important. We all need to be thinking about this was incredibly powerful to then get that interest and the buy-in from everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. So I want to talk about something else that you touched on because you said thought leadership. And I think oftentimes when you present foresight, it's like, well, well done. This is really interesting. Great thought leadership. Mm -hmm. So what? Right. So how do you link it back to the benefit to the business? More so, I guess, in that short to midterm and the ROI. Yeah. I mean, I would definitely not say that I have the answers to that, but one way that we're doing it is we've partnered with uh, an alliance called the Foresight Academy. It's 16 major global brands who are all trying to drive foresight, and we share with each other best practices on how we're doing that. So that's helpful is learning through others. The other way is that we're trying to attach to big projects that already exist, like the future of food or like crew health and well-being. And so if we attach to things that are already seen as big opportunities or problem areas, then it's going to have more pull than if we're just making up stuff that we think is important. Very powerful partnership. And you mentioned the word learning as well. So I'm curious, what have you learned from going through the process of setting up Foresight in an organization of like maybe something to do versus not to do that you want to take forward or that you would give as advice for others setting up Foresight? I think first is you do need to create the energy and the pull for it. And I don't know that it would have worked in either organization if there wasn't already energy and excitement at the top level. So if you don't have senior leadership buy into it, then I think it's probably not even worth pursuing. You need to have the right culture and the right momentum for it. And I was lucky that we had that in both companies. Mm. Um, but I spent a long time before we did anything just doing a roadshow on what is Foresight, what is it not, what are we going to deliver to the business, and getting people excited about that. It so that when we did deliver something, people were open ears and looking mm. forward to it. Yeah, definitely. And so Adam and I were talking about this before as well. He presented his Foresight introduction deck over 300 times. I'm stealing all your material, yeah. Adam. You're going to have to make up some new stuff for tomorrow. <laughs> Um, so I think that's really critical. One other thing I wanted to talk about was another word that you mentioned before, which is one of my favorite words when we're talking about foresight, which is patterns, spotting the patterns and pattern mapping. Pattern mapping is one of my all-time favorite methodologies or things to do to actually take all of the information that you're seeing in the signals of change and trends and everything else and just start to actually make it make sense in your brain and for your business. What's your favorite tool or methodology? Well, I think I actually, my brain naturally works that way. I always joke around that, that movie, A Beautiful Mind, where he's got the wall and he's got everything up on the wall and his, you can see like the lights going off and he's seeing patterns. I think I naturally have that capability. So a lot of it I, I can do on my own, but if we're going to buy it in, I mean, I think the power of crowdsourcing, like the idea of being in a group with 16 other major companies, what's great about Foresight is it's a universal phenomena, right? Like macro forces are universal. It's just how we choose to apply it that is different. So mm. I think the crowdsourcing patterns is one way. And then also working with partners like Alpha Diver or Blue Dog is another way we use to do it. Yeah. Or even some of those more academic yeah, uh, like Futures Academies. Future. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So sometimes they're using very familiar tools and methodologies that we use inside of business already. Like a lot of them use a SWOT even um, or, you know, steep, mm -hmm. uh, very familiar framework. So do you think that that's an advantage just to then marry it up to something that the business is already familiar with? Yeah, I mean, I think those frameworks exist because they do a good job of categorizing and organizing disparate information. Mm. 
Yeah. And people largely know those frameworks, so it's an easier sell than trying to make up something new. Yeah, definitely. Although you can then throw in the cone of uncertainty, which I love to throw into presentation decks when yeah. people aren't familiar with foresight because they think of it as like the cone that goes around your dog's head. Yeah. Like They need to know more. What is this thing? And it's a great way to then talk about how the further out in time you go, the less certainty yeah. you have around what you're saying and that level of certainty, uncertainty, you know, and the need to be able to face into that, um, I think is really critical. So when you're talking about foresight, a lot of that is then going much further out, mm -hmm. um, you know, potentially even going out to 2030 or, you know, sometimes in the business we look at projects out to 2050. So you're really going into those areas where you have less evidence and less certainty. So how do you build credibility about some of the recommendations that you make about those potential futures? Yeah, I think two ways. One is stealing from you on this idea of we're really certain this is going to happen. We're a little bit less certain this is going to happen. And this is just a future possibility of signaling the depth of that. Also, we've done things like we worked with a company where they use millions of signals and then they ladder it up. But you can rely on like, hey, this is built on both art and science and the science is X and it was built on 18 million patterns. Mm. So I think using data can help. The other is what I really like the idea of rather than being like, there's different scenarios that we are... Um, happening onto us is how can we influence the world. And so mm -hmm. a lot of times, like with the Foresight Academy, we talk about future world possibilities and mm -hmm. we talk about the things that could happen, but the things that we want to have help influence to happen. Yes. And so when you say that, it puts a little bit more control or has you have a sense of more control and then people will buy into it more. Yes. It's a really important shift in mindset from thinking about Foresight as predicting trends yeah. to thinking about multiple possibilities yeah. yeah, and influencing them, which is really critical. And I actually found a really great example of where McDonald's did that in the 90s oh. um, with the global environmental commitment that they created where they essentially turned 80% of the packaging into renewable materials. So really thinking you know, very much about some of the headwinds and the things that they needed to get on top of, but then really influencing to a much more positive outcome for the world. So a lot of great examples like that where you can you know, take it to your organization and say this isn't just about your you know, business success, although that's you know, a great attribute of foresight to be able to give you that, but also then like what kind of broader impact, what do you want to stand for as an organization? Yeah, absolutely. And sustainability is really important to McDonald's and to our current CEO. He was the first CEO to um, speak at the Sustainability Summit recently. Right. And I mean, I think that's also right. And when you're a large organization, we have the power and the responsibility to influence in a positive way our people, the world, our employees. Yes, definitely. And so with McDonald's, I think a lot of us have that memory of when you were a kid and you went to McDonald's. And when you think about McDonald's now, it's probably quite similar, or at least the feeling that you have is quite similar. I think McDonald's is really great at consistency. So in a company where consistency is really important, how do you bring in a case for foresight, which is a little bit more about transformation and disruption? They don't have to be one or the other. You can be consistent and moving forward. If, for example, in some ways we are super consistent with the brand, with the like Happy Meal, for example, with the feel, but in ways that we're pushing the needle forward, our restaurant designs are moving forward in a different way how we use technology in the drive-through, or how we think about technology in general. Mm. So I think it's about if the disruption and the foresight is moving 
towards people's wants and desires and or not actually disrupting them, but in improving their lives and their experience, then it's not really seen as disruptive. You can really see that also in the footprint that you have because McDonald's has over 38,000 locations. I'm just like reading all my research notes here (laughs) Um, in over 120 countries. And what's interesting is you do have that consistency and then like really delivering on consumer core consumer needs. But then you have that little nuance of the franchisee coming up with their own unique, locally relevant flavors or offers or yeah, yeah, adapting the store, which is four menu items that are the same everywhere in the world and the rest of the menu can be literally anything local um, franchisees want to do so it does create this global local fun thing so yeah one of my favorite things to do even before starting McDonald's is to go to McDonald's in another country to be like what's on their menu yeah very fun very fun so I want to go back to a little bit more of your background and your vast expertise and insights and global strategic insights is, you know, the, the broader umbrella that Foresight sits within in Mars Weekly and McDonald's and a lot of or, other organizations. So how is Foresight different to Insights in your view? I mean, in multiple ways it's different, but Insights is often answering a known question where Foresight, you're answering questions that the company didn't even know that they had many times. Mm. And also Foresight is about, like we talked about, identifying signals and patterns and projecting out and hopefully influencing future world scenarios. Insights is about driving the business of today in the short term tomorrow. So I think they're very different. What's similar about them is they often are steeped in universal human truths and it requires a lot of curiosity. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I love about Foresight though is it l- opens us up to uh, have much more diversity in the type of people. So the mm-hmm. type of people who are excellent at, at Foresight aren't necessarily traditional insights people. Mm-hmm. And so it allows you to bring in more diversity of different types of people. Like we hired a consultant and we've had yes. people in journalism or planners. Or, so I like that yes. about Foresight. Yeah, definitely. So shout out to Sandeep Das, who would be very, very happy <laughs> to get a shout out on this podcast, who came from consulting and brings, a, and he's an author, so he brings a very different way of thinking into foresight. And I think mm-hmm. you're so right that, you know, diversity of experience from different backgrounds, but also diversity of thought from different parts of the world or from different fields can really benefit foresight because foresight is all about bring the outside in so therefore looking outside at what's happening in and around your company or your industry or your category or your market um, I think we get so caught up in what's happening in America to Americans and what we're driving what we can influence that that curiosity to look outside and bring that in can be so powerful I agree okay so I have one last question for you And it's a little bit of a personal story as well. It's not really a story. It's more of an anecdote. But I was walking down along the river in Austin the other day and I bumped into a stranger, a Texan, because Texans are so friendly. They'll just spark (laughs) up a conversation with you. And he said, what do you do? And I had this moment of pause to say, I don't know how to describe what I do to someone who's not in the industry. So I ended up saying foresight and he didn't know what that was. And then I said, oh, it's like futurism. And then I felt really silly. So I think futurism or foresight have this perception still of being yeah. like a fortune teller. Looking at a crystal ball. Exactly. Um, yeah. So when you're then posing that to a company that's less familiar with foresight or futurism, how do you make it sound credible and how do you bring in, the, I guess, the excitement that comes with that, but also then the credibility? I mean, this may not be the right answer, but I always talk about we identify signals of change to either um, identify opportunities earlier on, hopefully, than our competitors or 
stem problems before they become an issue. And like, who doesn't want that? And I feel like that that works really well. The company's like, yeah, I want more of that. Yeah, I want you to tell me opportunities that I'm not spotting or help me solve problems I didn't know I had. Yeah, it's sometimes less about the title that we put on it and more so about what it delivers and really talking to that. Mm-hmm. Love that. Excellent. So we have a little bit of time left and I'm going to pause before I continue with my questions. In case anyone in the audience would like to put their hand up and ask a question and then I can repeat it back into the microphone. Yeah, go into the mic. Do it. So um, with the upstream sort of idea of, of identifying a problem before it's an actual problem, how do you know which ones to focus on? Mm. That is such a great question. Right. Um, right the, the question was, if you're looking upstream, how do you know which problem to focus on or which potential opportunity? Um, that is a great question. So one of the way we talk about it is we first is identifying it, right? And then in some cases, it might be monitoring it because it's not going to have a big impact on your business in the short term. Um, or it might be, or it's a really weak signal. And so it doesn't make sense. It's like too soon to do something on it or it's a really strong signal. Mm. So, you know, one example at McDonald's is we have a a lot of data points saying that it's possible that beef is going to go out of vogue in the next five or 10 years, especially with younger generations. So that's a pretty big problem. So that's obviously something we need to work on right away. But then there's other signals that are like, well, that's an interesting signal, but I don't know that we should put resources against it. It's not a bigger problem than other problems we're having today. Or we can solve for that in a relatively short period of time. Mm. So I think it has a lot to do with the urgency, the size of the problem, and how complex it would be for us to solve the problem. Yeah, that's a great question. What about when you know that something's not working in the organization and it's sort of like trickling, hence it's a little bit longer term, but you don't know what the problem is? How would you go about then working with potentially foresight agencies to identify it? I, mean, I think we'd have to get more clear on what the trickling is or what the problem is that we think. Mm-hmm. Um, but like anything, you have finite resources, and so you have to believe in it enough to lobby to put resources against that yes. question. Yes. And that really isn't that what it's always about. We have more questions to solve than we're ever going to solve for, mm-hmm. and we have finite resources, so it's all about lobbying for the thing you believe in and trying to get yeah. uh, alignment to work on it. Mm, and recognizing that it's a problem that you haven't solved for before because I feel like, yeah. you know, in, in insights in particular, we sort of say... They're consistent problems. They're just iterating in a different way. But sometimes these disruptions are very new and Foresight can help you to really address them in a different way. Fabulous. So anybody else in the audience? Yes. Trevor. So you mentioned a couple of key inputs to Foresight. Trends and then also crowdsourcing. Are there other key inputs that you can think of that come to mind that go directly into that? And then on the tail end, what does the output look like for advocacy, building within the corporation? Yes. So what other tools would you use? What other things feed into how you implement foresight, aside from signals and trends? Um, And then what are some of the other ways that you build advocacy when you're then amplifying that in the organization? So if I uh, break down the framework we create at Mars, and I don't think it's giving away a secret because it's how you use it, not what it is. Um, If you think about the first layer of macro forces, most companies use that, but that's not insignificant. If you think like the macro force, most people use the steep model, which is like what's going on in regulatory, what's going on in the world of technology, what's going on in environment, what's going on in policy and people. 
that in itself you could spend all year on, but understanding high level those trends or changes that are happening across macro forces that matter to your business is like step one. And then step two is what signals of human behavior change are we seeing in the world and what do we, why do we think that's happening and what do we think that means and what does that mean to our business? Mm. How are people going to, like for example at McDonald's, how are people going to eat differently, shop differently, um, dine in at home differently? Like all of those things matter to us and so it's applying the changes that you're seeing, whether it's trends, macro forces, human behaviors, and then playing out what does that mean for our business is the intersection. And then the what does it mean for our business when there's something that's like, this is a huge opportunity, or this could be like the beef thing, this could be a huge problem if this were to happen. And, those, and then those become your areas to play against. Well, one thing I want to touch on in that is that steep and macro forces and human truths, let's call them, they're you know, fairly consistent, like we've dabbled into those areas inside of a business for a longer period of time. So just going back to that point that you made at the very start of the conversation, which I think is really important that Foresight is approaching those in a very unique way and building a dedicated foresight capability inside of an organization is fairly new in a lot of industries and companies. So how does foresight help you tackle those known frameworks in a unique way? Yeah, I don't think it's that different than, you know, companies kind of swing between having dedicated innovation resources and then embedded innovation resources that foresight in some ways were in a swing of dedicated futuring resources because mm. you really it's really hard to focus on today and focus on the future so all foresight is doing is giving permission for people a small group of dedicated resources or semi-dedicated resources to look further out than the business is looking today which I think is a very healthy um, approach to business. And the resources are so small that it doesn't. It only takes finding one opportunity or one problem mm. to pay off. Mm. So. Yep, and then using that as a case study to how you can um, make foresight more of a thing in your organization mm. because look at what it can do. Yeah. So I want to go back to that word that you said, permission, which I feel is really important in foresight to be a little bit on the outskirts, very embedded in the organization, but still like a healthy troublemaker a little bit. Do you feel like that's an important part to be able to remain not only objective, but also to really have the freedom to be fearless in posing business challenges to the leadership team, for example? Yeah, I think so. I think it's got to be like an 80-20 role. If you're the other way around, 80% of the time provoking, 20% of the time like fading into hypotheses, you're probably not going to be very popular. Yes. But if you build the credibility by leaning into the stuff that matters, then they will be accepting of the 20% of the time that you're provoking. Yeah. Fabulous. Any other questions from the audience? Jen has a question. Oh, a special guest appearance. Here we go. Yeah. So what about when you don't have a lot of confidence in a future problem and you're trying to really articulate it and identify it? Yeah. Well, that's the beauty of, I mean, again, I'm only speaking from the privilege of large companies that the whole stage gating idea of you bring a small amount of resources to go and explore something. And as you build, get more information and more data, you build more confidence and more proof points. And then it, it will either fizzle out or it will turn into a full-fledged project that goes all the way to the end. Mm. So I, I think you only need enough confidence and enough commitment to get something started, and then naturally it will follow a process of landing or dying. Yeah, and I would build on that as well, that that's where I think pattern mapping really yeah. helps, is that you can, when you look at one individual signal, for example, or trend, you have a lower level of 
you know, potentially data or confidence around it. When you start to look at how these things are interconnected, you start to build more proof points, and then you can start to project out multiple possibilities of how it could eventuate, and that's maybe less confident, mm -hmm. you know, much more powerful for you to then be able to go plan A, plan B, plan C, you know, if these things eventuate, how do I yeah. air my company? Yeah, and not to be a broken record, but talking to other companies outside your industry, I think is also super helpful. Like we were, we were at Porsche as part of the Foresight Committee, and they're obsessed with the future world where there's no more cars allowed in urban cities. It's like working and living and only walkable. And then what does that mean for the car industry, for example? But even though I don't care about the driving piece, that idea, what if that did come to fruition, like has an impact on my industry in a very different way that I hadn't even considered because it's not directly affecting me. Yes. So talking with other industries and what's keeping them up at night is an interesting way to also build credibility. Like, hey, yeah. this is a big thing that people are talking about. Mm, so faster horses, in other words, yeah. is what we need. Yeah. So I think that's a, a really great point as well around collaboration and, and how, so Mars Wrigley is talking to McDonald's, we've got Disney tomorrow, you know, actually having conversations with other foresight practitioners, not just mm -hmm. in the people that you commission to do the research or the academies that help to upskill you, but actually just what are your challenges and how do we tackle not only tools and methodologies, but some of these much bigger problems that we're all you know, seeing because like, let's face it, you should be democratizing trends. We're all seeing the same trends. It's just the, like you said before, the interpretation yeah, yeah, of it absolutely. that we can collaborate on. Excellent. So I have one last question for you as we wrap up, uh, which is about the future, of course. Uh, what is one future pathway that you are most excited about? It can be for McDonald's or it can be for you personally. Just in general. Well, I'm excited about a lot of future pathways, but you know, one that we uh, talk a lot about is that idea of like seamless technology and how digital and physical will continue to be more integrated. And the reason why I like that idea is that Right now, technology feels so like in your face and so overwhelming sometimes. Mm. I look forward to a time where it's like not the hero, but the supporting actor, and it's a part of our lives to make our lives better, but it's not the f front of every like it feels like it's so pervasive now and scary and overwhelming you're always learning new technologies to help you in your life like smart homes mm. like I can't wait until it just becomes a seamless part of our life, whereas it feels a little clunky today. Yeah, definitely the integration and uh, it really important also for companies to think about that aren't tech companies because I feel like sometimes you think, well, that's not our forte or we don't, like, we don't mm. design technology. We can only watch how it unfolds and then implement it at the right time. But thinking about it a little bit more proactively about how do you operate like a tech company even potentially um, as McDonald's and thinking about like how the ideal user experience mm -hmm. and elevating that seems like a really yeah. great opportunity. Like today, if you order from the app, once you get to the store, you have to go in and click and say, I'm here. But right. we're working on a technology, for example, that uses GPS fencing that it will just know when you're there and you don't have to do anything. Like that's a great example of make my life easier, not more complicated. Yeah, definitely. And then eventually I'll just have like a little drone that, right, that just like, you know, drops it off of your house. With yeah. my Big Mac. Yep. Sounds amazing. The future is exciting. Um, what I really took away from this conversation, hopefully everyone else did as well, is that there is so much in foresight to be able to leverage inside of an organization. And even, you know, if you're not um, creating that dedicated capability and culture, like, you know, the amazing things that Michelle has been able to do at Mars Wrigley, McDonald's and beyond, 
you can even just start to think in the same way that foresight practitioners do and in the same higher level strategic way that Michelle has um, to be able to transform your business. So, Michelle, thank you so much. Thank you. It was fun. If you enjoy our show, be sure to follow us on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player so you don't miss new episodes. And if you can, a five-star Apple review goes a long way to help us connect with other curious thinkers like yourself, and we really appreciate it. The views expressed on this podcast are that of the show's creators, the foresight leaders within Mars Wrigley, and don't necessarily reflect the views of Mars or other employers. Future Imagined is a production of Stories Bureau, produced by Elisa Manjares, with editing and sound design by Matha de Leon.